Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. These are the, the first words I've spoken, I believe. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Getting the cobwebs out. <laughs> we'll be basey this morning. Yeah. It's all right. I think that's what yeah. the people like. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Uh, so we had a little bit of an incident yesterday. Oh, no. Yeah. We deployed an update uh, that was created a bit of like a, like a crashing loop on sign-in such that the app became unusable for, for some people. It was an adventure. Yeah. So because when you ship a bug like that, it's bits that are downloaded onto somebody's computer and then they have to like do an actual upgrade in order to get like a patch, right? That's true. Yes. Now, we can force that. So it's not so bad, but uh, a deploy for tuple involves things like getting Apple to sign the binary. And so there's just like a number of steps involved and like com compilation and all this. So there's, it takes like 15 minutes to push a new version of tuple out, e even once you know what you need in there. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've definitely shipped stupid bugs before, but then, you know, thankfully can just like 60 seconds later have a new version out there and like you know uh, hopefully no one noticed <laughs> yeah yeah so yes yeah, so we pushed this out and we realized it was it was broken for some people at least spencer and mikey like started hopping on it and working on fixing the bug it was surprisingly stressful we had like a lot of support requests come in and tweets coming at us i was getting emails to my like directly to me a bunch of people just being like what's going on what's going on we're like we're on mm -hmm. it we're on it we know what's mm -hmm. going on we'll have it fixed but I was taking notes uh, during the during the thing of like, hmm, it seems like there's some things that could be better here. Like we we haven't like had like a this is a live production issue incident response practice run, and so there were some things where like this isn't quite clear who should be doing what, like what order should this happen in. It, it made me realize like we could really use some more documentation around this that we follow, and also just kind of like agreed upon norms or standards where it's like okay these people are going to do these things and you should shut up and let them do those things if someone says like they're doing it then like let them go do it and don't like you know like what's what's the cadence for like updates from things how are we going to make the call to like roll back versus push a new version a lot of interesting things came out of this yeah you almost need to run like a fire drill or something right like the equivalent of that yeah well so we're going to do a, a post-mortem which i think will be useful to sort of figure out what was the root issue here? Is there are there things we should change to prevent that in the future? Um, but then also like agreeing on a, a written doc of like here's what's going to happen if this happens again. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a a good idea. And I mean, it's impossible to like cover every single eventuality of what could happen, but at least having kind of a base framework seems seems helpful. Like I was just thinking about this the other day that it's like you know I haven't actually had like a Google API outage in a while. Like there were a couple times earlier on in, in Savvy Cal's history where like suddenly the API was just like misbehaving or returning rate limiting responses when it shouldn't have been. It felt helpless, you know? And I was just thinking like, it would be nice to at least have some kind of consistent way to detect this type of issue early so it doesn't just come through support. And then a standard set of procedures of like, if the Google API goes down, this is probably what I'll do as a first step. Like it, it would help be helpful to at least have some of those like processes written down and like in my head somewhere. Yeah, because in, in the moment, it's very stressful. 
And so like deciding, like making good decisions in that moment is very challenging. Mm-hmm. And like totally. all of us were like, you know, very keyed up. And, you know, as the minutes tick by, it's getting worse. And as the support requests are coming in, it's getting worse. And so like we're all kind of like getting dumber by the, by the minute <laughs> yes. in a way. Yeah. As your like animal brain kicks in and it's just like, do something. We have to do a thing. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, man. I hate that feeling so much. You do feel dumber, which is crazy because that's when you need to be sharpest. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I think you literally are. Like, I think your decision-making mm-hmm. faculties are impaired. Yeah. Because you're, you're just triggering, like, you know, fight or flight and, like, it's not a smart fight kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so having a, a checklist and some, you know, pre-established rules and roles and things like that, I think would have gone a long way yesterday. Mm-hmm. But lesson learned. Fortunately, it was, you know, it got fixed quite quickly. So I think it was about 30 minutes from start to finish. It didn't affect everyone, I believe. So it was like impact was not too huge. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, I think it was kind of like a good, in a way, it was like a healthy stress test. Yeah, kind of kind of jostle everyone's awareness towards like, yeah, this, this type of thing could happen. Like mistakes happen, we're humans. So what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Whenever something like I ship a bug like this and I get, you know, a bunch of people kind of reaching out, it's always a reminder like, Oh yeah, there are like a lot of people relying on my yeah. software. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. And people notice things very quickly, which means like most of the time things are just humming along and people are like happily getting value out of the software that you're shipping, which is kind of a, an amazing thing. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the the level of calls happening per day on Tuple is is, is kind of kind of crazy. Mhm. I was running some stats and like we crossed, we have over 50,000 meetings scheduled through SavvyCal. It's kind of blew my mind. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, I mean, that seems pretty great for, for where you're at. Yeah, I think so. That's very cool. We're getting close to like 100,000 tuple sessions a month at this point. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. And that's just during the week, basically. Like the usage on the weekends is effectively zero. So it's like the during the week, we are, we are humming along. You should do one of those like... Remember MailChimp's annual reports they would put out with like all kinds of stats and like, like this kind of fancy web page thing. You should maybe do, think about doing something like that for just tuple stats because I think you have some pretty amazing numbers that people might be pretty. I, I agree. I actually just um, added a ticket to our linear marketing board nice. to do a blog post on these things because there's there's a lot of interesting data that we have, like you know day of the week for pairing and you know how often does the average person pair and for how long and how, with how many people and yeah uh, there's there's a bunch of stuff we can't answer because like we don't actually have visibility into the session it's all encrypted but we can see sort of the metadata of like okay this person did a call kind of thing and so i think there's some interesting stats in there for sure i wonder if it would make sense for you to like occasionally survey people like did you feel like this was a productive session and then like if you could use that piece of data as an indicator of like sessions that lasted this long on average tended to be rated the that's highest. a cool idea. That's, yeah. That's a, I like that. Could surface some like best practices. Just yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like. Helping people have better pairing sessions, I think is a great, is a great impulse for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just looking at our data here. So on October 29th, which is a Friday, uh, we had 3,500 calls happen. The next day on the 30th, which is a Saturday, we had 60. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so people are really having a healthy, like boundaries around their weekend, I guess. <laughs> You could say, yeah, we, we are a work app. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, which is nice. We see similar patterns with Savvy Cal, like number of meetings booked over the weekends is extremely low. And like, there are times 
like during the day at any given time, there's usually like 30, 40 people like actively on the site, usually booking a meeting of some kind. And then there are times on like Sundays where there's literally nobody for a while on the site, which actually makes like doing routine maintenance things really a no brainer because it's like nobody's probably nobody's going to be there. So we could like go offline for a few minutes and not affect anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've we've used that for maintenance before. It's it's definitely convenient. Mm-hmm. If you like working on the weekends, yeah, yeah, for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, so we also, I I believe today is the day for the first people receiving the Linux client. Ooh, nice. Yeah. It was supposed to be yesterday, but then we were all like pretty exhausted after the well, thing, yeah. <laughs> and we're like, hmm, yeah, let's not do this. Probably a good call. Um, so yeah, so we have a, a small handful of people in a Discord channel that we invited them to, and we're going to be distributing the, the, bi- the binary pretty soon. Sweet. That's mm-hmm. exciting, man. It is. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but it's mm-hmm. it's here. I mean, I imagine you've been doing a lot of testing internally. Is this like work across most Linux distros, or like are you kind of constraining it to a very small we're set? Keeping I know there's it a ton very of constrained. Ones. We are, yeah, it's like you must be using Ubuntu 20.04 kind of thing for for the first you know couple days yeah. basically yeah it's like we're trying to start just super small super minimal in a very known good environment i'm sure we'll still run into lots of surprises anyway mm-hmm. uh, but then you know as, as we get more battle hardened we can re- relax those constraints yeah yeah well that's cool hopefully hopefully soon you'll start to get a sense for like okay this is going to be a one month thing this is going to be a three month thing <laughs> you know to, to know how long you're going to be in this kind of um battle hardening phase the goal is to have it in ga like generally available uh by march 1st okay yeah we're basically pointing all of the engineering resources at this engineering people at this until that that's done because i don't want this project to kind of like limp along or like kind of like slowly bump along mm-hmm. i want to get to a point where like okay ship it to everybody go and now let's focus on the next priority. And, you know, we'll, we'll have to, of course, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a continued maintenance thing and a target that we'll build features for and whatnot. But getting to the point where we're like, okay, 1.0 is, you know, we feel good about en- enough to release this to everyone without gating is a milestone I want to like very definitively hit. Was that a hard decision to come to, to, to think like, okay, maybe there's other things you would potentially be doing during these next few months, but you're going to deliberately put those off in the name of like pushing this across the finish line or... Was that not particularly because we've it, like we've been building up to this for so long to not really pour our effort into it now would be kind of silly given how much like preparatory refactoring has taken place yeah yeah actually that, that conversation we had with Wathen about like what are your big six blog posts for the year mm-hmm. so useful yeah i feel like that framing really really like changed how i'm thinking about the next year yeah uh, i took a plane trip did a bunch of brainstorming on it and like figured out what what i'm at least four of my you know the six things and it was like okay like linux going ga needs to be on that list somewhere okay let's make it the first one of the year therefore it happens on march 1st uh, and then let's get that out of the way because we want to go do the other stuff too yeah yeah that was that was such a helpful conversation Um, so helpful and really that framing of like you only have so many opportunities to ship something meaningful throughout a year and so you you got to be deliberate about picking what those things are or else they'll just kind of be chosen for you (laughs) and and it could very likely end up being suboptimal or not not what you would have hoped so um it's like kind of like facing the music they're like no this time is finite there's only so much you can only really get so much done so be deliberate and if you don't 
pick a couple big ones, you will just do the small ones. Yep. Like no one else probably was going to say like, okay, everyone stop what you're doing and do Linux until, you know, we ship it on this date. I feel like I have to like throw this in the announcements channel and, you know, like, you know, make sure Spencer and Joel are on board with this, this goal. But then like, we're going to tell the whole company, like, this is the priority. If you're asked to help with this, do this, not the other things. This is where engineering is going to be. This is, this is what we're doing. And like that, even just making that announcement, I felt like really energized Knowing what's in and what's out and having made a call, uh, it just feels awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because doing the small things is like feels like it's not really that risky. But in order to like advance the status quo, you have to take some risks. And, and part of the like risk taking is saying like we're going to do this initiative that's going to take more time than the tiny little tasks. And, you know, those are the tough calls you have to make as a founder. <laughs> it's like figuring out when to when to sort of bet bet a slice of the company on like this initiative that I don't know has a possibility of failing but you know you feel like you've uh, managed to kind of balance it out like it's going to be worth it in the long run to to invest time into this thing Mm -hmm. the little ones are so seductive in the last year I think I have not done a great job of being like these are the big things I would say I've been like pretty poor at that and so we have been working on big efforts over time, like getting ready for, for Linux. Like Linux has, has sort of been going along for sure during that time period. But I do think it requires somebody like the product owner or whoever owns the roadmap to say like, these are the big projects. We're not going to do small stuff during this period because we got to get this thing done by this date. I've been lousy at, at doing that. And the roadmap suffered a bit because of it. Like if there's not that clear decision or like, you know, this is the thing, then it's it's hard to take it on yourself. Just decide like, oh, I'm going to tackle this massive thing. It's like, you know, you probably would go do something smaller, easier, less risky, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Talking to Wad and really like just opened my eyes. It was like, yeah, there's someone has to make these calls. I, I'm the one that should do it. And as soon as I started doing it and thinking further ahead and, and writing this list down, I feel like, oh, yeah, this is going to be super helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will often go on like a long walk and kind of come up with do some vision casting of like, this is where I could take the product. This is we could invest heavily into this area. And I think it would really could be really, really cool. And then it's like back to the lower level tasks and like just working on roadmap stuff. And there's like, I've, I've had sort of a disconnect between those two mindsets where like, I love to think about what the future could look like and some drop hints about it. But then like, but are you actually making concrete steps towards implementing that or are you picking off the small easy things and yeah like you said they're seductive (laughs) totally i remember reading this thing about product management or someone was saying if you think of your possible things you might build as like a two by two matrix like there are things that are hard to do but don't provide a lot of value obviously you don't do those there are things that are easy to do that, that provide a lot of value obviously you do those first but now what do you do with the remaining boxes? Right. <laughs> right. And the person recommended, you know, typically you're going to get the most value by doing the things that are hard to do, but deliver a lot of value. And I feel like those are the things that we have shied away from a little bit. Or just like, I, I just haven't put the, you know, stake in the ground to say like, let's go get this. Um, and that's what I want 2022 to be, is tackling those hard things that we've been putting off for too long. Um, and it feels like the right time for me. It's like we have the, the team is larger and stronger and more knowledgeable than it's ever been. Um, it's possible we're gonna we'll, we'll likely make some some additions to that as well. Like like to me, one of my goals is to to, to marry this list of big six things 
to a hiring plan. So it's like, okay, who do we need to feel great about our chances of achieving these six things? We've paid down technical debt and taken on this Linux project. And we've, we've, we spent 2021 doing some things that we needed to do and got ourselves in a good place and hiring. Um, and it feels like, okay, we are ready to like do more ambitious things. And I want next year to be a year we ship like major things. I want people being like, wow, like you hot on the heels of this other thing that we requested that you, you know, you haven't done for a long time is another one and another one. Yep. I like that. I mean, it's, and it's letting the company be oriented around the goals you want to accomplish through product. And I think it's safe to say we're both kind of in the mindset of like, we, we want the product to be the main thing that drives growth for the company. So it's like, how can you set your priorities there and then let everything else follow from that? Then that affects who you might hire and where you might invest revenue back into the company and all those things. Yeah. And the, the things on this list, I, I think are big enough that if we can hit them, then I think the financial goals will take care of themselves, more or less. The downstream effect of them will be large enough that we're going to feel good. Mm -hmm. I started thinking about, okay, I, I was debating after Adam's episode. I was like, okay, I need to, I need to pull in some of these practices, even though you know, I, don't, I don't have a full engineering team yet. It's just me. I think it still would be helpful to kind of take some of these elements. And I was originally like kind of skeptical about six weeks, but... I think I think I'm warming up to the idea more now because it really does feel like the right amount of time to give like a larger project time to breathe and make sure you can you can like hit all the areas of scope that you want to and then and then also like make the planning cadence not too frequent. So I think I, I've tended towards being like set my priorities for the week and then kind of think about the month. Those were sort of the two lengths of time that I would think through, but I think that's actually too, too frequent. And what I end up doing is kind of not actually deliberately planning that often. So then I kind of, I'll plan for a little bit and work on the things that I planned and then, it, and then just devolve into picking off easier tasks, which is kind of not a good place to be in. So, but then like quarterly feels a little bit too long. Like, I don't, I don't know how to set all my priorities for the quarter. So that's where like six weeks kind of feels good. And, and I think for me, the biggest, the most valuable thing is picking the ambitious, like needle moving blog post worthy project to work on <laughs> during that time. And then everything else, you know, I have quite a few of the relatively high impact, but low effort tasks. And so I can keep, you know, in earnest chipping away at those things, but making sure that I don't let those take over the big initiative. I think that's going to be the big the thing I'm hoping to get out of shape up, at least for now, as, as I continue to inch towards, you know, growing the team. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like we have to continually be making large improvements in the product. To just iterate is, I think, a recipe for a bit of stagnation. Sometimes people will tell us, like, we have a survey question, which is like, what, what's one thing we could, like, add or change that would be the most valuable to you? And sometimes people just say like, nothing, it's, it's great as it is. It's like some people are, are satisfied with the product as it is, fine. But there's just, there's just a number of, of large things that I know that a lot of people would value and that a lot of people ask for um, or expansions like into new platforms that just like make our addressable market so much larger. I think I felt like some of it honestly is just like my own psychology of like fear around these things. 
where it's like this project sounds big and scary um and so it's like i've i've sort of shied away from it uh, but i'm fe- i'm feeling kind of the opposite now yeah it, it does have to do with mindset a lot i think because i mean we talk about wanting to build the kinds of companies that are not stressful you know we want them to be calm and a thing we enjoy doing but i think there's a way to like set yourself up for not being burned out and not being stressed out all the time but still being ambitious and i think that's probably something that we're I mean, everybody who's in our position like ours has to continually get better at, or you don't have to, but I think it's, it's a good thing to like, to work on that and be able to still be ambitious, but not like hair on fire, burning yourself out, (laughs) um, in an unsustainable way. Yes. Yep. That's, that's the sweet spot where I want to be. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting more email than I can handle now. Something has seemed to have flipped, flipped over and now it's like. I will sometimes be like, I'm going to clean out my email today. And like, by the end of the day, it's like, it's back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, I thought I was going to get this done today. Ugh. It's like, I, I feel like there's, there's starting to be more and more random tasks and emails and stuff on my plate than I'm having like luck getting through in a, in a given day. You think it's time for like an assistant? I've been thinking about it. Yeah. I'm hiring an assistant in my personal life. I'm wondering if also this needs to be a work thing too. I've seen some CEOs who have assistants and I think that kind of, kind of spans both a lot of times, like the line between personal and business is sort of blurry, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been reading, um, Matt Machari who wrote the great CEO within as a huge advocate for hiring chiefs of staff. I think it sounds like a really interesting position. Do you have a good sense for like, what is the definition of the chief of staff role? Cause it's kind of a, tricky term (laughs) yeah so a chief of staff is contrasted uh, with an assistant because a chief of staff gets access to everything that you are doing and the goal is to eventually make them an extension of yourself so it's not a person that you just delegate things to like do these admin tasks for me so that i can do these other things it's more like sit in every one of my meetings have access to my email to my calendar to everything that I see and watch the decisions I'm making and sort of train yourself as a extension of my decision making so that eventually you are handling your own projects, making your own calls, but the calls are very good guesses as to what I would have done in, in that, that place. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. And it's... Sounds handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the kind of person is like someone that would probably want to run their own thing someday. So it's like, oh, I would like to eventually be a CEO myself. Uh, and so this access and visibility is super valuable, which makes the doing the you know less glamorous work worth it. Like that, that trade is worth it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's not someone that is, expects to be helping a CEO forever. It's more like someone that like is kind of looking for incredible CEO training. I mean, similar to the position I was in when I joined up with Rob and started working with him and then eventually co-founded Drip with him. I was sort of at the place where like I'm burned out on trying to do my own endeavors and I just feel like I need to increase learning and mentorship and all those things. And working alongside Rob was a huge growth driver for me in terms of like leveling up my skills and it seems like a role like this would be a similar opportunity for you know aspiring founders totally yeah yeah i was thinking like if i did want to pursue this like the indie hacker 
indie hacker community might be like mm-hmm. a good place to look for folks. Mm-hmm. Like if you've been working on a SaaS and it's not quite working or isn't doesn't quite support you or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you're a super organized, effective communicator that gets a lot of stuff done. Maybe this is like a good role to sort of get an inside view of a company that is working and is growing and learn from that. Hmm. Nice. Seems like possibly a good pitch. Yeah. So do you think you'll make make movement on this chief of staff thing? I, I don't know. I've, I've kicked this idea around for a while. I, I don't know why I can't quite like decide about it. Something mm-hmm. about it feels self-indulgent, honestly. Hmm. Am I running it like 100% of my own personal capacity? Not not quite, no. I could eke out some more of my own you know, time or work or whatever. I could answer these emails late at night or I could do them early before I come into work or something. Like there's, there's more time. And so part of me feels like if I'm not at like close to 100%, does it make sense to pay someone to like help? Mm, um, probably does though. <laughs> it probably does, yeah. <laughs> I suspect I you will. As soon as you're like three months into it, you're going to be like, God, I should have done this a year ago. <laughs> I haven't heard anybody hire an assistant that didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like I, I know a bet. bunch of CEO friends and like every single time I ask, they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. This was huge, yeah. huge for me. Yeah. So... And there's that, that this great copy I saw from this, like, you know, assistance as a service thing, which was, if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'll um, make you think. Interesting. So I feel like I maybe need to slot this into, like, if I want to do this, like, put it into this, like, hiring plan for next year and talk about it with some smart folks. Seems like a good, good plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's going on in Savvy Land? Yeah. Things are going really well. I, October was my best growth month since February. So it kind of feels like, feels like things are starting to kick in, starting to work. You know, we're continuing to invest heavily into like content production right now. And we're starting to see, like there's a, there's an interesting graph that we pulled out of Ahrefs and it's like, we've been, we've been doing this producing articles for a couple of months now and sort of picking up our pace. Like I want to, I want to get through our database of keywords by, the end of this year or shortly before um shortly into the first part of next year it's kind of it's the kind of thing where like you don't really have to meter this stuff out necessarily it's just like you know as fast as you can produce the content get it live it, it can start to start to yield benefits from seo perspective it's fun to see like there's a graph in there where it's like organic traffic and rankings kind of combined together into a score and it's just like beginning of october it just started to started to get lift off it's crazy to, to see that because it's like uh, hard to believe that, that that kind of stuff just works, but but it does. <laughs> so mm. so um, are, are there people that are like Googling around for tools that do what you, Savvy Cal does and then choose seeing you and signing up? Um, definitely that, that kind of thing is happening and we're starting to like some of our more direct like Calendly alternative page I think is now on the first page of Google if people search that term. So there's definitely that's those types of searches uh, for sure as a source of traffic. And then, you know, keywords we're working on are sort of related, but not directly, not directly speaking to the problem that Savvy Cal is solving, but at least gets people onto the site looking around, you know, so all kinds of like guides around Outlook Calendar and Google Calendar and, um, you know, phrases like how to start a Zoom meeting. Like we kind of determine like there's an opportunity to rank for that. And so if we can have a little guide on like ways to spin up Zoom meetings, then people could then stumble into the fact that like, oh, Savvy Cal can actually automatically create a Zoom meeting for you. So related content that is we're able to rank for. And so Corey did a whole 
a whole deep dive on this and built up a database of keywords that, that we want to target and kind of ordered them by in a strategic way. And we've just been chipping away at them. That's good to see like that starting to work. As you're seeing the traffic go up, are you seeing uh, new trials started increase as well? Yes. So it was also like our best trial month um, in the month of October. So like we were normally consistently around, I don't know, I want to say like 40 to 50 active trials at any given time. And we were now like holding consistent around 70. And I'm kind of seeing that like just gradually uptick as well. Um, so yeah, it is. it does feel like just... Just everything is is pointing up slightly higher, slightly faster, <laughs> I guess. Um, nice. That's great. Yeah. I would also like more trials. Yeah. Yeah. We have some, some uh, things that are contributing to that. We're also playing around with, um, with Google ads right now. And so we've been sort of um, investing quite a bit into that, trying to get get quick feedback about like, all right, does this category of keywords work well for us? And we've sort of eliminated, narrowed it down to one bucket of, of ads that are performing decently well. Like we're getting, I think we're sitting around an eight month payback on those based on kind of the, the trials and conversions that it's driving, which is, it could be, that could be better, but it's still like, um, still willing to continue like experiment with that, trying to get that get that payback time slightly lower. But yeah, it's surprising that, that cause I've always thought of, you know, Google ads as just being like prohibitively expensive unless you're selling like a $99 product a month or more or whatever. But, um, we're managing to, to make some of those work too. So nice. Yeah. I keep looking at our lifetime value and thinking like we could spend a lot of money and yeah, acquire a yeah. customer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's been nice because I haven't really been directly involved in that that sort of project of kind of thinking through what are the buckets. I think creating, spinning up ads, speaking to that, and then managing the account. Like Corey's been thankfully handling all that and doing a, I think, I think doing a very good job. You know, based on what I can tell, mm -hmm. um, and the kind That's of awesome. data we're getting back. Seems like you're doing yeah. a lot of like good blocking and tackling marketing work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to think about how to make our content publishing flow a little bit smoother. Um, I was asking around on Twitter about this because we sort of, so I have a static site on the front end just because that was the, the fastest and quickest thing for me to get, get spun up. And that's kind of the, the environment I like to design in is just, you know, with Tailwind and HTML. But I am sort of a little bit of a bottleneck on getting these articles published because we'll like author them in Google Docs. And then I need to get it into a markdown file with the images looking correct and uploaded to the right place. That's like not a task I can easily delegate to anyone else on the team because, you know, I'm the only technical one that's like comfortable working with markdown and and all kind of stuff. So looking around at like what can I do to to automate that process more or make it so that my writers can like directly publish posts without me investing in a super complicated setup um, or sacrificing like the the aesthetic and the design that I have right now, which I want to keep, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just go for like a bland WordPress blog or something. Um, and, and also don't really want to spend, I mean, I'd be willing to, to pay for design obviously, but I just don't want to like undergo a several month long project right now. That's going to be expensive just to get to the, back to the place where I'm at right now, just to allow, you know, people to publish posts. So it's kind of a, Trying to figure out what's what's the right um, 
timing and uh, stuff to like really make that process more efficient. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have writers. I do. Yeah, we have. I think four or five that are. You have four or five writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're all freelance, you know, on yeah. a per article basis. We were like, we could, we could just pick one or two and go slower, or, or we could like, if we wanted triple the amount of our spend every month and get through them faster, we could just, you know, we could probably find a couple more. And so that's what, that's what I opted for. I'm like, let's go faster. <laughs> How good are these articles? I haven't actually looked at one of them yet. They're, uh, I, I'm actually very pleased with their quality. I mean, obviously some of them are not, are not like mind blowing. Like uh -huh. how to start a Zoom meeting is not uh, blown. Yeah, back. not exactly, um, you know, stellar like content, but the, the writing quality is still quite high in my opinion. I wanted to feel good about that, that they weren't just kind of garbage keyword stuffed articles, you know? So we have like Claire Emerson is working on like longer pieces that are a little bit more, I guess, more compelling than like those standard kind of keyword targeted articles. So she had, she put together like a blog post recently when we published was like 92 um, strategies for like optimizing your email workflow. And it's like a super long post and it's, I was reading through it and it's like, this is, this is quite good. Like this could live, this could live somewhere, not just, you know, on a blog feed, but like as like a kind of content asset, I think, cause it's just very high quality. And um, so she's written several along that vein. And I love to see that. Like, I love if I can kind of get the benefit of like, this is actually something that people really want to read. And it's also serving like an SEO benefit of like getting, capturing traffic of people who are searching in search engines. Um, yeah. Hmm. I think Wathen has kind of poisoned my brain a little bit against traditional marketing techniques, like, like, like normal content marketing. Because like the, like the, you know, work in public type approach, like show the stuff you're making, tweet about things in progress, talk about your personal challenges, I think is a great angle. Um, and so I, I feel like that's kind of like become my, like, I guess it's made me more skeptical towards like other things like content marketing, I guess, normal content marketing, blog posts. But I think that is probably a flawed position. Yeah, I think it just, it's hard to scale that, I think. You know, it sort of taps out like, and Adam is in a unique position, I feel like, because he's just sort of the, the way his company structured, the products he builds and the size of the market and where they hang out, like it all kind of just aligns, I think, really well. So he's he's one of the few, I think, that is managing to like scale this actually and like build a, a very compelling, very high revenue company <laughs> on this on the back of this strategy. But I think it's I think it's harder to scale that for for a lot of like SaaS products in particular. Um, hmm. Yeah. I think it's also the developer in me too. It's like surely no one's Googling actually for like these things and that would then turn into a customer. It's like, I just, I think I, I think I assume everyone in the world is sort of like cynical and sees through content marketing like I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is that's one of the uh, one of the big blind spots that we a lot of us founders can have. I think is like assuming that everyone else operates like us or values the same things, and it's like, yeah, that's actually. <laughs> I think I, I should probably uh, adjust a bit and do some experiments at least, and see. Hey, if we hey if we if we wrote some great blog posts, would those uh, would would those generate more traffic? Would we see uh, more more people coming in? Yeah, 
that's where it could be interesting for you to to just have like a growth person on payroll who's kind of thinking thinking about these things. I you know I haven't thought too much about what what tuples could look like, but I mean there's you know there's the kind of the traction book and the standard like playbooks you could run and could be interesting to have someone like dedicating brain cycles to thinking about what what do we what do we hypothesize could be really valuable growth channels and then how can we devise some projects around that spend six months investing into this thing and then see what it yields and do we want to keep doing that it seems like that could be a really interesting thing and what the, the nice thing is, is that's a very revenue very very tied to revenue type of position so you could <laughs> as opposed to other roles right yeah um, yeah it does sound so. interesting Speaking of content marketing, um, I DM'd a designer the other day because I, I just trying to find somebody, and he, you know, was happy with his current gig, not really looking around, not in a place to make a change. But as he was kind of like saying no, he said, "Oh, by the way, uh, I saw the uh, article that Derek Reimer did about your UI redesign, and I have it saved in my bookmarks." And that was how the, it's like, I've actually heard of you guys. And that was a great article. Something clicked in my head. And I was like, I like, and uh, someone also tweeted something about this recently. That was sort of a similar take on it. And like these two things kind of like combined in my head. And it was like, I have been doing hiring purely like it is an outbound sales effort. Like I've been reaching out to people and try, like more or less cold DMing people and being like, hey, are you interested? And there's this whole other approach of content marketing for humans where we're making interesting content that will get the right kind of people uh, to know about us. Like the, part of the reason we struggle to hire non-developers is because I don't have a big audience of those folks. But if we know we're going to hire a handful of designers over the next three or four years, let's say, putting out a great blog post or video or tweet storm or whatever about things that designers would find interesting is an excellent investment. And that just had never, never clicked for me until yeah. a couple days ago. I think that's why we see companies so many companies like spinning up an engineering blog. Like I originally didn't know like, why are they doing this exactly? Like, it's just, do people just want an outlet to write about stuff? But I think that really is what it is. It's uh, let's talk about how we problem solve and the interesting things we're working on. And that will, that will be enticing. I find myself reading those from time to time and it's, it gets to the point where like, Ooh, well anytime, like for a while it was like the segment segment.com team. Anytime they write like a deep dive on some technical thing, like I want to read that because they're really smart and they think through things really well. And I can imagine if I was like in the market for an engineering job, I would be like, well, shoot, if I could work for segment, I mean, that's amazing because they write these posts that are super compelling. And that sounds like interesting work. Yep. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I am so glad I like that. I saw someone phrase it that way, like explain that and what that what actually was. And then like experienced it firsthand. And like, it just like, it's, I feel like now it's like steered in my head, which is like, Yes, marketing is a thing for people as well, for candidates, for future team members. Um, and just that mindset shift, I think, is going to be really useful. Like, like if, if, I, if, if I make a hiring plan for next year and there are some positions on it that I think we're going to have a trouble reaching, we can start now trying to make stuff that will be interesting to that kind of candidate. 
I think even if I just wrote a post or made a video or something about how it's hard to hire a designer and like what my experience of that has been like as a like technical CEO, I think that alone would, would be interesting and like might attract us to, you know, could get shared in some design slacks or whatever. It's like, duh, it's all, it's all becoming clear now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting. Yeah. That's, you normally only think of that for getting customers, but exactly. it's like, kind of works for the hiring pipeline too. Totally. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, I mean, at this point to me, the right team member is more valuable than 20 more customers. More valuable than probably 100 more customers. Right, because higher leverage, the leverage exactly. of having that. Yeah. That's where my leverage is now, for sure, is building an awesome team. Um, and the, the team, we, as a team, we will figure out how to get more customers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like content marketing can be for our customers second. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's good. That's powerful. Yeah. Speaking of team, I'm having a couple conversations uh, in the next week or two that I can't really say too much about that uh, I'm very excited about. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if the uh, Savvy Cal engineering team finally ends up uh, growing a bit in the okay. near term. Yeah. So possibly more more hackers on the team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep. Cool. That sounds exciting. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm pretty stoked, and I feel, it feels it does feel kind of like. I said earlier in the year, like once I kind of get through summer, fall, keep going on the shipping spree, I kind of feel like this will be, it'll kind of be a natural point in the year where it feels like, yeah, this, this might be the right time. And I'm, I'm sort of feeling that in my gut that it could be, could be the right time. And obviously the, um, I've been doing a lot of modeling of financial scenarios because developers aren't cheap. So like, um, so working out like what are the, um, how does the you know resources of the business look to support this? And I'm feeling pretty comfortable with that. It's been fun plugging in like, you know, our Google ads has a has a monthly spend attached to it and our writers have a monthly spend attached to it. So plugging all those variables in and then adding in a developer salary and seeing what happens um, has been a very helpful exercise. Hmm. Um, Sounds do. like you're doing some summit modeling. I'm doing some summit modeling. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, feels good on that front. Feels, feels like probably the right time. Like as I'm thinking about what do we want to accomplish next year, doing some of my, some of my shaping up practices, like I'm, I'm just envisioning how it could be so high leverage to have another person uh, involved in this. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Are you still thinking, uh, must be in person or are you opening to remote? I'm open to remote. Uh, I kind of have relaxed my my convictions around that. I think it would be a shame to like to just eliminate that talent pool. I think that's the that's the biggest factor for me. It's like I just don't I don't want to limit myself that much. Um, that being said, I'm having a couple conversations um, with folks who do happen to be in my area. So so I might end up kind of the best of both worlds at least at least uh, for now. But we'll see. Makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Well, exciting times for both of us, it sounds like. Yeah, I know. Um, like we had mostly positive things to say. Hopefully we'll bring some uh, some struggles in the next uh, <laughs> the next episode to balance balance out the, the hoorays. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And you and I, we got to talk offline a bit about AOP plans for next year. Yeah. We were saying some things. Ideas are cooking. I like it. I like it. Yeah. 
I want I want next year to be really all, to be just like great. And so I'm trying to think of like how do I make it great in a bunch of different areas of my of my life. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, AOP has been sort of at a stable listenership for a long time. We get more or less the same number of downloads per episode, and uh, that's fine. But it could be more awesome if it were bigger. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm interested in like making sure that we're keeping our format fresh. You know, I think this this format's been around a while now, like there's a bunch of podcasts like ours. And I think it's still one of my favorite types of podcasts. So I don't, you know, I'm still very much a fan of the format, but also like recognize that there's a potential that we're stagnating or something, or like there's some things we could be doing better, producing better content. Um, so, yeah. I wouldn't mind uh, input from the outside if, if folks have thoughts on that. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. What would you like to hear? Um, yeah mm-hmm. or tweaks or compl- like vague complaints or mm-hmm. crazy ideas yep we are open we are open yeah. cool all right shall we wrap yeah let's wrap it notes of the show notes of the show can be found at com. thanks for listening see ya <laughs>